Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Hello and welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast. My name is Patrick Adams, and today's guest is Dorsey Sherman. She is a leadership and continuous improvement coach with over 15 years of experience in creating positive organizational change. She's also a Kata coach and trainer, and today we dive into uh, Toyota Kata and its amazing impact uh, on so many different organizations, but how Dorsey is using it to help transform uh, the, the companies that she's working with. We have some really, really great conversation around the tools and techniques that follow Kata methodology. One of the things I want to point out in this episode is that this was recorded as a webinar, and so we do speak to slides uh, that Dorsey is showing as she's walking through. So there are some conversations around particular slides. Uh, I apologize as obviously as listening to this as a podcast, you won't be able to see those slides. Uh, however, this particular webinar is out on uh, Facebook Live on our page at Lean Solutions uh, on Facebook. So feel free to reach out and take a look at that. Uh, however, Listen in. There's some really, really powerful information here around Toyota Kata and implementing it in your organization. So I hope that this episode is very beneficial to all of you as we talk with Dorsey Sherman. Enjoy. Patrick, can can you see that picture there? Yes, I can. Yeah. So what do you? How would you describe those legs that you see? Um, I would say they look like they have uh, maybe. Lots of lotion, or they look very shiny. Shiny, yeah, exactly. So they look kind of wet and shiny. Yeah. So, yeah, so so here's the thing. They're not wet, and they're not shiny. They just have white paint on them. Oh. Our brain, yeah, our brain really fills in the blanks. We jump immediately to conclusions that um, they're shiny or they're wet. And so we have these automatic um default ways of looking at the world and that really inhibits our ability to solve problems so patrick can you read this for me out loud uh yes i will try okay so it says according to a research study at cambridge university it doesn't matter in what order the letters in a word are the only important thing is that the first and last letter be in the right place the rest can be a total mess and you can still read it without problem. Uh, this is because the human mind does not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. Wow, I'm proud of myself. That was yeah interesting. Right. So here's the thing. We don't even need the letters in the right order. Our brain will just fill in the blanks automatically and come to our own conclusions about what this says. And so, well, who cares? Why does this matter? How does this relate to lean? Well, Put these two slides in the in the context of a gamble walk. The idea of a gamble walk is go to see, to learn, to go and see what's happening. But what we realize is that we're not we're not focusing on facts and data. We're already jumping to conclusions about what's happening and what's working. And so um, to become aware of that, um, um, and that's kind of an obstacle in our brain to problem solving. So these are just some of the over 100 cognitive biases that exist in our brain. It's a cognitive bias just means it's a systematic error in thinking. 
And so there are over 100. Here's just a few. There's something called confirmation bias, which you might be familiar with. It's the idea that you search for, interpret, and focus on what confirms what you already believe. Negativity bias is we only remember um, unpleasant memories compared to negative memories. And again, they're relevant to our lean journey or to problem solving and improvement because they reveal kind of this innate weakness when it comes to um, problem solving and thinking scientifically. So Toyota Kata is really an antidote or sort of a countermeasure to how those survival mechanisms um, that our brain has evolved to do. So um, it's not a tool, but a routine that you practice. And when I say scientific thinking, um, what I mean is really comparing um, First, it's focusing on facts and data, but secondly, is comparing what we thought was going to happen to what actually happened and realizing the learning that, that occurs when those two things are, are different. So where it came from, Mike Rother went to Toyota. Of course, we know Toyota is held up as an um, expert and a you know, benchmark in the world of continuous improvement. And you know, back in the 80s, a lot of American companies and individuals went to Toyota and they brought back everything they saw. So all the stuff above what I call above the waterline. So the results, the tools, the and on cords, the one piece flow, the, the process mapping, all that stuff. Like, oh, wow, that's cool. We need to apply that here in America. But what Mike Rother did in coming up with Toyota Kata is focused on, well, how are people thinking and how are they acting? It was sort of the less visible stuff. And what he realized is that they were thinking and acting scientifically and that managers were teachers of that way. So Toyota Kata is really scientific thinking, you know, which is not um, necessarily new, similar to A3 thinking or, you know, other problem-solving methodologies, but it's combined with this deliberate practice with a coach. And for me, that was the missing piece. Um, and so it's deliberately... Um, addresses our jumping to conclusions, fear of asking questions, fear of uncertainty, all those obstacles are really addressed when you have the deliberate practice um, with a coach. So it's not hard. It's not, you know, why do we need a routine? Scientific thinking isn't hard necessarily, but it's just not our default. It's not a habit. These highways, we have these literal highways in our brain of um, where the same thoughts are repeated over the same patterns, how we respond to situations, they're repeated over and over again. They're called neural pathways, and it's a way for our brain to save energy and stay, and stay efficient. And so when we need to make new roads and new habits, um, new highways, it takes a ton of practice and repetition and to do that with a coach. So just like Mr. Miyagi and Danielson, where he had to wax on and wax off over and over and over again, washing those cars and painting the fence. The reason for that isn't to get, isn't to clean the car or to get good at painting the fence. It's to build that muscle memory. So when he goes into the ring and he's fighting that cobra, the cobra Kai, he can respond like that without even, you know, with without thought. It's an automatic habit, and that's really what the Totokata is meant to do too is you're presented with any challenging situation or goal and you automatically go to, to your steps. So research shows, um, this is one thing I'm learning in my leadership coaching certificate, is that three things are required for change. Motivation, practice, and feedback from a coach. And Toyota Kata is really enmeshed with all three of these. The motivation comes from striving for a positive and positively framed goal 
when the practice comes in the form of the coaching cycles I'm going to talk about and the feedback from the coach. So the Toyota Kata, again, Kata means routine, and this Toyota Kata is actually two routines. So there's the improvement Kata and the coaching Kata. So this is the improvement Kata. This is a four-step method. And again, this is Mike Rother taking what he saw, how he saw people thinking and acting and behaving at Toyota and translating it to this four-step four-step model. It's specifically designed to address the weaknesses of how we respond to problems. And so first you've got understanding your challenge. So so this is different than in A3 or other methods where you start with, with a problem. In Kodokata, you always stop with a, start with a positively framed goal that's anywhere from six months to three years in the future. Where are we going? What are we trying to achieve? From there, what is our current condition? Then we establish the next target condition, and the word next is key because um, we'll have multiple target conditions on the way to meeting our challenge, and then finally you experiment towards the challenge. So this is the same, the same model expressed a little different way. The challenge is like at the top of the mountain there, yep. um, what you're striving for, and you start there. Then your current condition, and this is when we're at maximum uncertainty. We're, the challenge that we want to achieve is one year, maybe three years down the road. We have no idea how to achieve it. And um, typically in our default problem-solving mode, this is where we start making like an action plan. Okay, here's everything we need to get done. Here's our six-month plan. Well, what Toyota Kata calls out is you have a knowledge threshold. You actually don't know how to achieve it. And you have these lines of where there's a line between what you know and, and what's beyond your knowledge you don't know. So the idea is you set a target condition, where do we want to be next, and then you experiment. One thing I always point out is that when you go between, you do experiments to go between your current and your target, that's not a straight line. That is not a straight line. It's not a linear path um, to close that gap. In fact, things get worse. You know, the line's crooked, um, and that's what happens is you learn and fail, um, but learning from your, quote, failures, and the threshold of knowledge moves further and further, further out as you go. And Dorsey, that, uh, yeah. just real quick on that last slide there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I always, always like to also mention there that your point around it not being a straight line, the direction or the challenge is what keeps us heading in that direction, right? Because there are, and especially for a lot of us, there are so many other things that can pull us off the path and pull us into so many other directions. When you know we get busy with this or there's firefighting over here or whatever it might be, that direction or that challenge is what we need to, you know, um, it gives us almost like that true north. It's, it's like yeah. we need to continue in this same direction. Let's not, let's not head that way. You know, let's head towards the direction. Um, and even though we may not know because it's outside of our threshold of knowledge, we may not know what that next target is, mm -hmm. um, but at least we know we're heading in the right direction, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other absolutely. question that I had on this too uh, for you is, uh, yeah. it was interesting to me when I learned that if you go to Toyota, you won't see uh, these kata diagrams yes. up on the walls, right? Yeah. Um, right. And, exactly. Yeah. So Mike Rother did a really great job for those of us, especially uh, Westerners that, you know, like to see things uh, a little, you know, give me a, give me a, a process, a step-by-step -step process. I thought, I thought Mike did a really good job at, at, at trying to take what Toyota was doing and really create a, a good 
you know, step-by-step -step process for us. Exactly. He translated it for us. He, you know, and I think he was there for nine years or something, you know, just watching and, and learning and understanding and then, and then brought it back and was like, this is what they're doing. You know, this is what they're doing. So, right. but yeah, exactly. It's not like you go and see, see this, um, yeah, this model. You'll see people behaving this way, but not with this. They don't have this on the wall. Exactly. That's right. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so this is the second routine. This is the coaching kata. Um, I, I find a lot of people, even if they're not practicing, are familiar with this card, um, kind of called the five question card, which actually has like 12 questions on it. Um, there, there's much more than five. The idea here, um, so the coach's role is to teach the improvement kata. Um, it's different than, so I'll talk about there's a learner and the coach. The coach's job um, is to ask these questions, and in doing that is really teaching. So I'll quickly read through them, but it's, you always start with what is your target condition? What is the actual condition now? What obstacles do you think are preventing you from reaching the target condition? Which one are you addressing now? What is your next step? What do you expect? And how quickly can we go and see what you have learned? And that, I, that's one of my favorite questions because you're not, we're not asking uh, one of these jumping to conclusions uh, like, oh, when will you have that done? That's how a lot of people interpret question five. And that's not question five what it means. It means when can we see what you have learned from taking that step. And when you're into your experimenting cycle, you flip the card over, ask about the last step. What did you expect? What happened? And what did you learn? Yeah, so, that question is yeah. – uh, really about creating a, a, a learning organization, one that where it's safe for people to actually, I always hate to use the word fail, but uh, yes. your experiments may not work out exactly the way that you yes. thought they were going to in the beginning, right? Um, and it's a success if you not only, it, it's a success if, if it did work out the way that you hoped and, and you're able to move closer you know, to your target condition, but it's also a success if you, if it didn't work out and you learned something. The only time that it's really a failure is if it didn't work out and you didn't learn anything, right? Yeah. Now, and, yeah. and that's why that question is so important. It's so key. We have to yeah. really take time to reflect and understand, you know, what was it that we learned from that, you know? So, absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And, and the coach can play such a pivotal role in making that safe. You know, Absolutely. making like, oh, it didn't work? Great. That's great it didn't work. Let's talk about what we learned. You know, it's not, it's not a negative thing. Um, so this this kind of plays out. This is a storyboard. And, um, of course, visual management is such an important um, part of lean thinking. So these can this could be on a whiteboard that's taped out. This could be on flip charts. You know, um, I've done these virtually. There's all kinds of different ways to see a storyboard. But... The idea is that this is where the learner documents all of the progress. Um, it's updated um, for every coaching cycle. So practice is an important thing. And um, if you're learning anything new, you don't learn by um, long, infrequent practice. So practicing my, a cello for three hours once a month doesn't make you a good cello player. Practicing in short frequent cycles does really increase your learning. So ideally, you know, these are um, daily 15-minute coaching cycles where the coach is asking and the learner is answering. The coach is responsible for teaching and the learner is responsible for executing that four-step improvement kata and everything is documented on this board. 
So I'm going to go through each step um, real quickly here um, and give you a couple examples. So understand the direction and challenge. What does that mean? So there's uh, Mike Rother wrote another book called The Tour to Kata Culture, which goes deep into kind of using Kata for strategy deployment. But the idea is that challenge really connects you between the organizational um, vision, mission, values, purpose, and then you've got your challenge is how you execute the strategy. So it's a way to cascade down what you're trying to achieve, what's the strategy, um, into individual improvements. And so here's a couple examples. Um, if you've read the Toyota Way for Service Excellence, this was an example from that book um, that was written by Jeff Leichert and Karen Roth. So they talked about a taxi service, and it was the challenge was every ride on time, every time working together. Um, a healthcare example, decrease admission time from the ER to behavioral health unit from 18 hours to one hour. Um, these were examples I've worked on. Behavioral health reduced monthly seclusion and restraint hours from 15 to zero. Meal order food reduced code red overheat expense from 350000 to 150. That's when they were shipping meat um, to hot climates, and it was sitting on people's front porches and going bad, and then they had to replace it. And then this is a nonprofit improved data collection completion accuracy from 20% to 100%. So all of the challenges are um, they're far-reaching. We don't, people don't know how to achieve them. They're beyond the knowledge threshold. And they kind of answer the question, wouldn't it be great if? Wouldn't it be great if we could do this? It's this positively framed goal that you're striving for and it's connected to strategy. Something that happens sometimes is there can be some unmotivating challenges. So the leader is the one that sets the challenge. And, but just because they set the challenge doesn't mean there's not a conversation with the frontline staff. So um, my experience has been is, is sometimes a leader can set an unmotivating challenge. And why that matters is this is very hard work. And it takes a lot of time and effort. And the learner should be invested. You know, it should be something that they care about. And yes, it has to be connected to the business and connected to improvement. But if the learner doesn't care about it, it's going to be a struggle. So I really um, coach people to make sure you're having a conversation with staff and, and, and your individual learner to make sure it resonates. So this is an example I worked on where a challenge started as we want to increase productivity by reducing hours per unit of service from 0.4 to 0.1, and the learner's kind of like, uh, okay, so you want me to work harder? Like, mm -hmm. I'm already exhausted. I already don't take my lunch. You know, what else can I possibly do? Like, I don't want to, okay, I'll work on this. I guess I have to. You're my boss. You're telling me this is my challenge, but I'm not into it. So, and, and that's really common. The, the point is to take a moment um, and to have a conversation about, about what it can really, what we're really trying to achieve. And this is actually the same challenge restructured. What are we really trying to achieve? Okay, we want everybody to leave on time, and we want to make sure everybody is served the same day. There's no carryovers to the next day. The measurement can even be the same. But mm. this this is more of a rallying cry. This is like, oh, yeah, okay, I don't want to leave on time. You know, I, I want to take my lunch break every time. And, yeah, I want to make sure everybody's taken care of. So the challenge is always customer-facing, too. It's not necessarily about making more money it's about what value can we add to the customer i love that um, that's that's yeah. such a great such a great point right there um the, the there's such a big difference between the two the way that the two are written but the feeling for the team on the the much better side is, is night and day 
I love that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Okay, so let's talk about the current condition for a minute. That's our next step. So now we know where we're going. We've got this long-term goal. Where are we now? Um, so this is from, this is actually, there's a whole separate kata, so a whole separate routine just for analyzing processes. This is from the practice um, guide. And they kind of lay out this five-step routine, so how is the process performing over time, tag time, cycle time, a block diagram, exit cycles, etc. Um, I have modified this myself when I'm working, especially in a non-manufacturing um, type of process that doesn't um, have necessarily all this data. These are sort of the points that I always have. So a pattern of work, what, are, what, are, what does the process look like, what are some key characteristics and observations, what are my outcome metrics and my process metrics. Here's the key point for me that was different in Toyota Kata is we're not looking for waste. And, and this was really different. When I learned A3, it was all about, okay, go and look at your process and say everything that's wrong with it. And that's not what we're doing here. The point is to look objectively just because remember those, you know, when we're filling in the blanks and those words that Patrick read and he didn't even need the words in the right order. We're trying not to do that. We're trying to just to say, what are the facts? What is happening? Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of waste. There's always going to be waste. We can't work on everything. We don't want it to be random. We need to set a target first of what we're striving for before we can decide what problems we want to solve. So this is a purely objective look at facts and data. Um, what does it look like now? Um, Mike Rother came and spoke at Michigan State a few years ago to a MBA class, and I was lucky enough to be able to go. And he put up a video of like a faucet assembly plant, and the workers were like, um, you know, assembling the faucets, going down this assembly line, and we watched it for a few minutes, and then he stopped and said, okay, what, what would you change? And so everyone's raising their hand like, oh, well, it looks like he's got batching, and, you know, there's work in progress here, the inventory's building up, or level the work, or make a seller, all this stuff. And it was, he was basically like, well, it's like trick question, kind of like time out. Well, we don't, yeah, there's lots we could work on, but we don't know until we have a target condition what we need to work on. We don't want to be playing whack-a-mole with waste and just right. randomly eliminating waste until you know what you're striving for. Right. That was a, a huge change for me, which I've come to really appreciate. Yeah, that's such a great point. Uh, also, Dorsey, you mentioned A3. We did have a question come in uh, wondering yeah. about, and, and maybe you'll get to this in a little while, but they were, it was specifically about the storyboard and they were wondering, is the storyboard like an A3? Um, so I don't know if you, if you want to touch on that. Sure, sure, sure. Let me go back. Um, um, so yeah, it kind of is like an A3. I mean, it's very similar. Um, I mean, the key differences for me are the challenge is positive. We don't start with a problem, you know. Um, at the same time, the other big difference, there's no root cause. So the idea, um, and this is another big shift for me, these obstacles are what we think are standing in our way. You experiment and you will learn more about the obstacles, but that the root cause is beyond our knowledge threshold. So even to ask why five times, people end up guessing and we don't really know, and so it's better to put what you think the obstacles are and start experimenting, and, and what the root causes will come to the surface. So, yeah, it's very similar to an A3. I mean, what you don't see are, like, you know, there's no countermeasures. Um, 
I mean, I think it's better because what I struggle with with the A3 is this experimenting record. You know, the A3 can become this static document that you kind of fill out and put on the shelf versus this document, this storyboard is in place for six months that you're constantly updating and improving. And, and I know that's how A3s are supposed to be. I guess my experience has been that they end up being like a one and done kind of thing or it's like, okay, do we start a new A3 or do I erase all of this? Like my actual, it's two weeks later, my actual condition has changed. Do I change what's on here? Um, so I guess that's the difference for me is this is more of like a living, breathing document, but it's meant to say the actual condition now. And so as we work on this over time, that changes, your actual condition changes with every cycle. Um, sure. So similar but different, I guess would be my, my answer. Yeah. Uh, and again, I don't want to throw you off too much here, but when would you, yeah. uh, when would you say someone mentioned, you know, eight step and A3, when would you say someone should use an eight step versus going into uh, using a storyboard and, and working in Kata? Uh, would you say they work together? Would you say you're, you're only doing one, not the other? What, what would your answer to that be? Oh gosh, that's a good question. I mean, um, I don't know that I, I, so I always go, I always go for Kata. Now, I guess that's my default kind of um, mode that I strive for. I mean, when would you use? I guess what I would say is if you're already using A3, you're already using HTTP problem solving, I wouldn't say change, but I would say how can you build in the coaching part of it? Because I think that's not always a good combo with A3, and, and at least I didn't learn how to do good coaching. How can you build in some of the coaching kind of parts and combine it with your A3, and how can you build in your PDCA? That would, that's what I would say is the key. How do you build in more repetition and practice and experimentation into your A3? So I guess I would try to combine them if you're already using your old method. I do not recommend that people like abandon what they're doing and change sure. Jakarta, you know? It's like, how can you take the best? And I think the coaching and experimenting is, is really a nice um, add-on to, to existing problem solving. Yeah, yeah, okay. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let me get back here. Um, target. Okay. So your target condition. Um, so establish the next target condition. And the word next is important because you'll have multiple targets on your way to your challenge. Remember, some of those challenges I showed were a year out. So in a target condition might only be, you know, um, I'm coaching someone now and they're working on their golf game and their target condition is only two weeks out. So it's like, where do you want to be in, in two weeks? So in how you write a target condition is exactly like your current, except you change what you want it to look like next. So the idea of this is, um, is sort of time travel. So you say, okay, it's now two weeks from now or a month or you know, some of the relatively short time period. And here's what a coach told me. you. Um, are you've done time travel, so it's now two weeks in the future, and you're in the ceiling tiles. You're up in the ceiling tiles, and you're looking down, and you can't see any numbers. What do you see? So that comes sometimes is helpful to put people in that mindset of like, okay, how does the pattern change? How does the work change? What does the process look like? What do the metrics look like? What are, and maybe it's just one thing. It doesn't have to be, especially since these are short, target conditions, what are, you know, what is the, what is the next step look like? Um, it's a description not of how to do it, but what it looks like when we're there. And 
here's the other thing. If you know how to achieve it, it's not a good target. So, you know, our brain always comes to, here's what I want to do. Okay, we've got our challenge. We did our current condition. Now, here's what I want to do. Um, and um, if you already know how to achieve it, we know it's not a good target. We want to set targets that are outside of our knowledge threshold. This is, um, I love this document from the practice guide, um, which is we want to take people out of apparent certainty and into uncertainty. And this is where true learning is going to happen when we're not sure um, how to achieve it. So here's an example. Um, so say we have a challenge. We're going to reduce medical errors from X to Y by December 2021. Not a great target. Okay, we're going to put visual boards in every patient's room. It's not a good target because we already know how to achieve it. All I have to do is order all the boards and, like, call maintenance and have them installed. Okay, here's a better target condition. The visual boards in every patient's room are complete and accurate. So that's going to be hard to achieve. I don't know how I'm going to make sure every board is complete and accurate. That's going to require, for sure, there's going to be obstacles because that's behavior change you know, of the staff and nurses, and I'm going to have to experiment to figure that out. So you want it outside your knowledge threshold of the target condition. So then you document your obstacles. And um, this is everything. Why can't you operate according to the target condition right now? What is keeping you from operating that way? You just list them out there. And again, I talked about there's no root cause. It's just a list of, of what the obstacles are. And then you really start experimenting. So, um, that is where, and this is this great record, it's called an experimenting record. And so one line is for each experiment. And I love this, this document, and it can have a lot of applications outside of process improvement. So you put your obstacle you're working on right here, and then you say, what am I going to do? And then what do I expect? So Patrick talked about, you know, we want to make sure that we have learning well, part of what, what prompts that learning discussion is you make people put a stake in the ground. So I'll use my golfer that I'm coaching right now. So she wants to, um, she's working on three, five, and nine-foot putts, and she's going to change her grip. Um, well, the obstacle is that um, um, she thinks her grip is um, keeping her from, it's pulling her to the right too much on her putts, and so she's missing. So she's going to change her grip slightly. She expects, so it's the stake in the ground is what do you expect? She expects the change in the grip to, she has a grid around the putt. She expects that to take it further to, further, closer to the, to the hole. Mm -hmm. So she thinks there's going to be like a 20% change. So they actually put that in what I think the change is going to be. And then you do it, you execute, you go ahead and do your experiment and you write down what happened. Well, it actually didn't work. When I changed my grip, it went further to the right or further to the left or whatever. Now we have something to talk about what we learned because we have a difference between what I expected and what happened. And making people write that down really prompts that um, conversation. Because sometimes otherwise you say, what did you learn? They're like, well, I don't know. You know, it didn't work or whatever. But when you can compare that kind of plan to actual, that's a really good way to prompt that discussion. And that also helps you yeah. to, um, when you mentioned earlier about only experimenting with one, one experiment at a time or one area at a time, obviously when it comes to, you know, what did we learn or what happened, we can tie that back to just one change, right? So that's why yeah. that's important. Exactly. Good. Exactly. Um, yeah, and one obstacle at a time. So, 
this is when you start using the coaching kata card. So you don't use this card. If you're figuring out your current condition, you're figuring out your challenge, you're writing your target, you don't use the card. You only start using the card when you start experimenting. And so, um, yeah, one experiment at a time. And then as well, um, Patrick, you only work on one obstacle at a time. And so that's what this question three says. Which one obstacle? You could have an obstacle parking lot full of 20 things. And you might, you're only working on one at a time, and you might not need to address all of them because we have all these things we think are keeping us, but we, they might not all be relevant. Right. So this is now the coaching kata, a whole separate routine that the coach is practicing. And again, the intention of the coaching kata is to teach. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, there was a really good article in Harvard Business Review about um, people think they're coaching. So when you ask managers, are you successful at coaching their employees? Everyone's like, yeah, I'm a great coach. Like over 80% of leaders say I'm really good at coaching. But you ask that same question of their staff, are your leaders good at coaching you? It's like less than 30% say they're coaching. And most people think they're coaching and they're really just telling people what to do. Um, and so I call that out to say, Telling can be effective, but it doesn't always mean someone's learning. So um, this is this method. Um, it's sometimes called see, compare, and struct of how people coach for ability. So this is a comparison to somebody coaching a snowboarder. So there's an observation and a reference. The first thing the coach does is give this snowboarder a task. He's like, okay, you know, come down the mountain and make two turns. Then, you know, I observe and see what he does. Um, so I watch him and then compare what he's doing to an internal reference in my head. Like, okay, here's what a turn should look like, even if, you know, he's doing that kind of subconsciously. And the protocol, we're going to pull that out and be really, really clear on it. And then I react. Okay, so I give a task, observe, evaluate, react. Here's how that connects to the coaching kata. The task is the coaching kata question. So when I ask you, what is your target condition? I learn a lot from how you answer that. And on the surface, this seems, this seems simple because you've got the storyboard and they have to read it. Well, what happens in practice is you ask someone what their target condition and they give you like a dump truck full of words of everything. Well, it's this and it's that and we're working on this and, you know, ever since this happened and Sheila came and we had this problem and what we really think we need to do is this. It's like, okay, wow, we have a huge gap. You don't understand your target condition at all. So you hear the answer, you compare it to a reference, and then ask a deep question. So you're really doing the same thing. Again, the point of that coaching kata question is to see what the learner is thinking. That's you observing their thinking process and understanding if they're even in the corridor of scientific thinking at all. And then you can give um, you know, direction or ask additional questions in order to help them teach. So that's how it looks here. What's the target condition? The learner answers. And how they answer reveals what they're thinking. The focus here is not in the content. And this is a struggle for people, you know, especially managers who've been leading processes, leading operations for years, if not decades. It's not your job to solve the problem. So I want to say that again. It's not the coach's job to solve the problem. The coach's job is to influence the problem-solving process. The coachee, the learner, should be, do, should be in the content. The coach is not in the content, and you have to pull yourself out. This was really hard for me when I started because I 
my brain immediately goes to, okay, we need to understand this and this and this, and we can do this. And no, you need to think, how is your learner thinking? Are they thinking scientifically? And, and, and that can be a real challenge. So the coach doesn't know. They're directive about how. So that's the other thing. The coach and the learner don't know how to achieve the target condition. Just because the target can, just because the coach may have more experience, they may be a leader, hopefully you set a target that's outside your knowledge threshold and nobody knows how to achieve it. And so um, they, it's not appropriate really to be directive about how to do it because they shouldn't know how to do it either. Um, and when you give solutions, you short circuit skill development. So I think we can all imagine with your kids, when they ask you a question about their homework or ask you to tie their shoes, this is my daughter, you know, it was so much faster to tie your shoes for her because we could get out the door so much quicker, but then she doesn't learn how to tie her shoes. So when you're giving solutions, you're just short circuiting the skill development. And that's such a hard habit to break when someone's struggling and they don't know how to proceed. The best thing is to actually let them struggle a little bit um, so that the learning happens. So again, you ask the questions to discern what the learner's thinking. You're looking for the knowledge threshold. Um, again, the role here is to not be too focused on results. A coach that wants results tends to be very directive and literally say, so I've seen where coaches are like, I know that experiment won't work. I want you to try this instead. Well. Um, the job of the coach is to be very supportive. Like we talked about earlier, it's a good thing to fail and have things not work. That is how the learning happens. Instead, a coach that wants to develop a learner says, okay, what do you expect from taking that step? Um, and those are two different really mindsets to have um, when you're in that coaching role. Being allowed to have failed, exper quote, failed experiments is essential for scientific learning and that um, you have to stay in that role of being curious and supportive. So there's a lot of obstacles to coaching. Number one, telling is faster. I mean, it um, can feel like I already, you know, our brain says I already know what to do. Why don't I just tell them what to do? And people have said, well, Dorothy, Wayne's about respect for people. Isn't it disrespectful if I know the answer not to tell them what it is? Um, and I would say, well, our job is really to help people learn. And so if you give the answers, um, you know, then no one else is learning. The other thing is that coaches who are typically leaders, they have been um, praised, they've been promoted, they're given raises for solving problems really quickly um, and making taking decisive action. And I've done it before, I have more experience. But again, that's not your job as a coach. Your job as a coach is to really help someone learn a pattern of scientific thinking. And again, that's kind of a different a different hat to wear. So this is a slide I really like that Mike Rother created. A novice coach really is focused on, um, like, like any novice learner, this uh, technical part of the improvement kata. So I want to make sure I ask the questions right. I want to ask all the questions, even if like the answer is terrible. I keep going. I ask all those questions. I want to make sure the storyboard is right. As you become a better coach, that learner comes out from behind the card and you have to think, oh my gosh, are they actually learning anything? What are they learning? Am I teaching? Are they improving from step to step? We may or may not be getting results, but is anyone learning anything? So the last slide I wanted to show you, um, I highly recommend the book called um, Mindset by Carol Dweck. And it has a really cool 
kind of overlap here. So in most organizations, um, you know, we have this idea of we have to stay in certainty and anything else outside of certainty is, is fear, but you're really trying to create this exploratory mindset and bring the learner in um, to outside of the certainty into a learning zone. So Carol Dweck describes this as a fixed and growth mindset. And a fixed mindset, if you have a fixed mindset, um, she gives tons of examples from athletics and um, it's, it's a really great read. But what it means is when you have a fixed mindset, it means that making mistakes means you're stupid. Making it, putting forth effort means you're not smart. If I can't get this the first time, wow, this is a negative thing and I don't want to do it. And so when you think that, you don't really want to take on challenges that you don't know how to achieve, things that are outside your knowledge threshold because you reveal what you might not know. But when you're in a growth mindset, you really believe that effort is good because all qualities are capable of being improved and so hard work is fun, challenge is interesting, and mistakes are how we learn and get better. The role of a coach is to pull people to that growth mindset where uncertainty, um, you know, is a good thing. And um, it's a good thing uh, to walk into uncertainty, hard work, and effort while striving for a challenge that's beyond our knowledge threshold. Um, and so with that, I wanted to tell you about the Kata Dojo really quickly. So Teal Schwartz is that bald guy on the left. And he created this Kata Dojo program where it's really, and I learned to be a facilitator of it, what it is is a place to dojo just means a safe place to practice it's a room to practice so um i along with rick Fleming, created this online virtual dojo and it's where to, to practice and get feedback on your coaching skills we do repeated um practice and repetition with challenging scenarios so you get to practice again and again with feedback like from second coaches on how to get better so we're doing it now it's actually um, sold out, but we're going to start another session so you can message me um, if you're interested, and I'd love to connect with you um, and talk more about Toyota Kata. This is my website and my email, and I was sharing my phone number. Perfect. And that's all I had. Love it, love it. No, and obviously we only have an hour, so we're we're yeah. trying to touch on a lot of information in yeah. a really short time. Uh, a couple quick questions that came in that I think are pretty yeah. pretty quick to answer. Uh, one question was around the question or the the the, the title of kata. Why don't you call it scientific thinking? Why is it called kata? That was a, one question that came in. Yeah, good question. So, well, um, kata means routine. So, kata is a routine you practice to learn scientific thinking. So, Toyota kata is the is what Mike Rother coined because he, Toyota kind of represents the scientific thinking part. You know, they're already doing it, and the kata is the routine to learn it. So. Um, that's why it's the, it's the routine you have to practice. Yes. Uh, and then another question that came in was uh, around trainer, coach, mentor. Are those the same thing? Is there a difference between mentor and coach? Uh, what, what would your thoughts be on that? Um, yes. I would I would say, so, and maybe I was throwing out around those inappropriately. Yeah. So a coach in the context of a Toyota Kata coach, yeah, they're – role is specifically to teach you the improvement kata. I mean, a mentor, um, so yeah, sometimes I would talk to a mentor who's like a very experienced kata coach, and I'd be like, oh, what do you do in this scenario? And they'd be like, well, I would do this, you know, but I guess when I say coach, I mean someone that's directly um, responsibility to teach the improvement kata to a specific person. Sure, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. And then there was a, another question around uh, 
let's see here. Um, trying to remember where I saw that at. The question was around, sorry, here it is. Um, how do you separate a telling in business critical situations to coaching when the pressure is off? Uh, when the so the, I guess the difference between telling and coaching, how do you, yeah. what, when do you have to tell someone versus when should you be coaching? Yeah. I, I mean, that's <laughs> what everybody wants to know. I think, you know, like as coaching becomes more and more like the norm, absolutely you can't do it. My answer, this is my opinion, would be you can't coach all the time. There are times when we have, if someone doesn't have the information they need, you have to make statements. You have to tell them. I always say if there's a safety issue, if there's inappropriate behavior, I mean, absolutely, there are times when coaching is not appropriate and you need to be much more directive. Um, but I think coaching is probably possible much more often than we think. Um, and it's just a comfort level with, you know, patience and developing another person. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that's Yeah, a, I don't know if you no, would answer that a, differently, but... No, I think that's a that's a really great way to to uh, to put it. I mean, and and the coaching can always follow too. I mean, we're a little bit outside of yeah. Tata, you know, in, with this question, yeah. but uh, that you know, if if as a leader, if you have to make a decision, um, you know, then you make a decision. But it's it would be yeah. nice to follow up with some coaching afterwards too. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.